sister, where have you gone? It's a nice day for a red wedding. <sighs> if you haven't figured it out yet, today is our first episode devoted entirely to Game of Thrones. Uh, welcome to Big Nerdy Questions. I am Josh, as always, and with me tonight on the panel are Callie. Hodor. Matt. Did you really have to open with a pun? Welcome back, Ed. Night gathers, and now my watch begins. For the rest of the episode, I will be pronouncing everything as Hodor. So, Hodor, <laughs> Hodor, Hodor, Hodor. That was our question, but I'll translate our question for those of you who don't speak Hodor. Uh, our question is, whose death on Game of Thrones has been the most memorable? So, we're clearly basing this discussion off of the television adaptation of George R.R. R. Martin's books, but the books and the series are intertwined, and we'll be getting into that a little bit later. But there are so many deaths to choose from. I was going to say juicy deaths, but in this case, the adjective juicy probably applies to literally. So we'll move on. Uh, but before we get any further, Matt, who is our sponsor for this week's episode? Well, Josh, today's episode is brought to us by HBO. HBO, <laughs> you're mostly paying to skip the commercials. Ed, you have a recommendation for tonight, and you said it's an anime. Yes, and it's very applicable. Uh, what I'm going to recommend is the 1997 version of the anime Berserk, uh, the original story by Kentaro Miura. And uh, for those who haven't seen the show before, it is a dark uh, medieval-style anime, and where it shares similarities with Game of Thrones is no one is ever truly safe, and it has a very, very dark uh, atmosphere and storyline. Uh, I feel, though, that I should caution, as with Game of Thrones, there are no shortage of unsavory things within the story. Rape, murder, anything you can think of that's dark is pretty much in that story. So take it with a grain of salt. If that's your kind of thing, it's worth the watch. So once again, that is Berserk, the 1997 adaptation. Thank you, Ed, for that recommendation. Uh, and I do want our listeners to know that coming soon on BNQ, since you are anime experts, for those listeners who are not as much averse in anime, you'll be um, piloting an episode soon on the best gateway animes. Is that not correct, sir? That is correct, and I'm looking very forward to it. Yes, yeah, so if you are a little bit uneasy about where to jump into that genre, Ed is here to help you out uh, with all of us in a couple of weeks. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, but for now, it's time for more Hodor. Uh, so Game of Thrones, if you haven't heard of it, I'm amazed you're listening to this show and found us. Um, Ed, if you want to go ahead and explain briefly the the books that Game of Thrones are based on, of course, <clears throat> A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, as you said, it's A Song of Ice and Fire by George R.R. R. Martin, uh, one of the best writers, in my opinion. Well, I would say still going, but he hasn't put anything out in a couple years, but... Still, one of the best writers today. Uh, the the books and the movie or the shows, uh, at least for the first season and a half, two seasons, pretty much went side by side, and then they started to veer off into, um, I guess, more cinematic things for the show. But the the way that death is handled in both the show and in the novels is pretty similar. Uh, you get instances where in any other. Uh, you know, story, certain characters that are killed off ruthlessly would be the heroes, the good guys of, of any other story, the ones that would win through at the end and be the, you know, the long-lasting hero. Uh, Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire is a very perilous, you know, narrative. Nobody's ever truly safe, and that's what makes it such an engaging story from start to finish, because you can't get complacent. That's a good way of phrasing it, and I think, you know, I'll, uh, Callie and Matt can jump in here, but to me, Game of Thrones changed the way television uh, as a whole handles death. Because typically, before Game of Thrones, even in serialized series, main characters did not die with such high frequency. If you were one of the first cast members listed in the credits, your odds of death are pretty slim. Maybe one character a season tops, unless there was a big transition in the show. But in Game of Thrones, there is a major death count every week. In fact, most recaps I read for the show actually have a separate section for who died this week. And when no one dies, they throw a little confetti party. You're right. Uh, Game of Thrones tends to not go for the the villain so much with the deaths. Um, I do remember 
rejoicing probably twice and, <laughs> and, and feeling like there was justice in the death. Most of the times I was, I was just heartbroken with, with who exited the show. Um, it's, they always come up with the clever way, um, not, not too far from how we kill off Jar Jar in every episode. We try to be, they try to be very original um, and find new ways of, of taking away the breath of life. So, Matt, since you are our resident Jar Jar murderer, how, what do you think about the deaths overall on Game of Thrones? In my defense, I do try and keep my Jar Jar deaths both creative and topical. Absolutely. They, they do keep the deaths relatively original. I, it, it's not like some crazy insanity, like, you know, wait, did that really just happen because it's a weird thing? It, do, it does fit the narrative of what's going on. And it does make sense in the context. Not only are the ways that uh, characters are killed off original, uh, but the emotion invested into them is is so dramatically high in so many of the cases, and that's why it leaves such a long-lasting impact on everyone. Well, not only that, it also actually has lasting effects throughout the show. Yes. <clears throat> Each death will actually have a ripple effect, and you'll actually see it have an impact on each group of characters that's being followed. So, and to kind of go back to the, the episode about origin stories, one of one of the things I, I like about how they deal with death is it, it usually shows some kind of progress in the, in the character. Um, so whoever commits the killing has changed their, their morals or their, their reasoning um, or how they perceive life and threats uh, when they carry out the killing. So, um, Particularly for whether it's Ned when he's in the very first death where he's executing someone and explaining to Bran why, or it's um, Daenerys when she um, kills her handmaiden who betrays her um, when she was it was it Marine that Karth. city Karth, or Karth. Um, it it each usually the killer shows some some tipping point in the character's narrative and and shows their progression as they develop throughout the series. Supports the idea that on Game of Thrones, there are very few characters that are pure, you know, pure good or pure evil. Almost everyone has a shade of gray somewhere in them uh, on Game of Thrones, which is why I think, Matt, we found it so hard through two episodes now to give anyone from Game of Thrones the right to Thor's hammer, because all of them have pretty defining flaws. You would be hard-pressed to find anybody who would be worthy of me on there. In the uh, Song of Ice and Fire universe. No, totally Joffrey Baratheon, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did give Thor's hammer to someone else who was purple. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so what we're going to do now is go through and I'm going to let Callie, Matt, and Ed name different deaths from Game of Thrones that have had, that are the most memorable. And we're measuring memorable with the following criteria. Uh, how much of an impact did it have in the show? both immediately and long-term, how well acted was the scene or how well written was it, and also, of course, because we are in the universe of fatalities, just how brutal was the damn thing. So that may make things more stand out more than otherwise. Callie, I'll start with you. Which death do you want to lift out first? Okay, so as I was approaching this episode, I wanted... I first started with the most literal definition of memorable. Like, when I think Game of Thrones death, what is the first one that comes to my brain, regardless of significance or, or I guess, how it looked on the screen? Um, and the first death that came to my brain was when Tyrion killed his father, Tywin Lannister, um, and his beloved Shay. So, I know it's not the, the staple death, in, in Game of Thrones, but here, here's why I gravitated towards that one. First of all, I'm pretty sure I cheered out loud when the crossbow went um, <laughs> went through Tyrion's chest while he was sitting on the toilet. Like, first of all, the whole environment was just not what you expected, and it was comical yet powerful at the same time. Um, just just that the first, that, it's that really the, uh, it's not the first time we see Tyrion kill, because he had already gone through the battle I forget the name of the battle now, but he had already guided Joffrey through the battle for King's Landing. Battle um, of Blackwater. Battle of Blackwater, thank you. So you knew he was capable of killing, but usually you had seen that to protect himself and was kind of out of necessity. Uh, this one was, was strictly revenge for what um, he was put through by being wrongfully accused of killing Joffrey. Um, 
his father, you know, was nonchalant about his trial and and was trying, you know, that that trope of I'm doing this for your own good, but I'm not going to tell you the details behind it um, kind of thing just kind of bristled inside of him and 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 marinated within him until he couldn't take it anymore. And the portrayal of his beloved Sheikh, who he thought um, returned his his love. Um, so he was he was quite burned by that encounter. Um, so the fact the fact that he you know he stood his ground he he confronted his father he confronted his um, betrayer and he took action upon it and that was a significant point in in what or in how he perceived the world and what he would do forth going you know crossing the narrow sea finding the nearest later on I mean it had a great impact on on the events that folded outside of King's Landing later on. Um, and, and some within as well, but just seeing Tyrion um, commit patricide was one of the most memorable moments and deaths in in Game of Thrones to me. I want to jump in for a second. I, it took a character like Tywin Lannister, who was larger than life, you know, through the entirety of the novels, through the entirety of the show, and humanized him in such a way, because where he died, and I can say this as far as I've read and watched, nobody else died on the toilet in the entire series. So, I mean, if that doesn't humanize you, I don't think anything else will. And uh, as, far as, the, as far as the ramifications ongoing uh, for his death... That's one less person to keep Cersei in check at this point in the game where we are now, and she's going to Mad King levels, it seems like, almost. Well, you know, Tywin always did want to die on the throne. But, um... <laughs> For once, I'm not the one yeah. with the crappy joke. Oh, ah. but you just made one. <laughs> ah. Ah. Yeah, I definitely think that's a good one for nominee Matt. What's our next nominated death? This one is kind of... I think it's going to be one of the most memorable ones for the people who saw the show before the books. And I'm going to I'm gonna nominate Ned Stark. And the reason for that is he is the first major focused on character through the show who is killed. You know, if you have only seen the show and not read the books... You're, you're going through, and he really feels like the main character up until the point where they kill him. And yeah. it's like, oh, oh, so that that's how this is going to be, huh? I mean, it would be akin to killing off Jean-Luc Picard in episode 8 of the first season. Right. No, kind of, yeah. It, because, and, and the whole time, you know, he's getting ready to be executed, his... <clears throat> Older daughter is up, uh, I believe, near this, either near or on the stage, mm-hmm. and and uh, Arya is in the crowd watching the execution. So you're like, there's no way they're going to kill him in front of his daughters. There's going to be some kind of like inter, you know, like Joffrey's going to intervene or something and spare him to win favor with Sansa or something else will happen. It's took nope. Uh, and you remember that. Pretty much everybody had advised him not to kill Ned, and then they were legitimately pleading with him on the stage before Sir Ilan cut Ned's head off, and and it was just it was traumatic. I agree with your choice, and then it, what this effectively shows within the realm of of Westeros, there's no place for a man with any honor because Ned was probably the most honorable person in the series. Period. Even though he had his own shortcomings too. Right. Right. And I think what really drove it home for me as a viewer was after his death. Oh God! They put his head on the spike. And uh, if you're paying close attention and you actually pause it when they're showing the different heads on spikes, uh, one of the other heads on a spike is actually <laughs> a George W. Bush mask. Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> And and back to what you you were saying earlier, Matt, without reading the books, you would think he was the main character. Well, imagine the people reading the books for the first time. There are more chapters devoted to Ned than any other character in that book. In the first book, yeah. Yeah, because they're, well, that's the only book he would have, (laughs) only book he would have (laughs) chapters in, but... um, 
But yeah, they were all point of view chapters, and ev- there was more Ned chapters than any other character in the book. So for a first time reader, you'd be sitting there, okay, well this guy, you know, all this bad stuff's going down. He'll find a way to get out of it. He'll take the black. He'll he'll come back and get vengeance at some other point or something. Nope. For reference. Does Ed's death occur near the end of the first novel, or is it somewhere in the middle? Near the end. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, where does it go from here? <laughs> I think it, I think it goes a little bit past that in the first novel, and it's been two or three years since I've read it. But uh, it was towards the end of the uh, first novel. Yeah. I think it kind of sets up, you know, the events that follow in the second season and then the second book. Uh, and you talk about the ripples earlier. I mean... Rob would have never went to war had Ned not been killed. Rob would have never died had he not gone to war. I mean, it goes on, it's, it, it, it ripples out, like you were saying. Well, Sansa would still be a bubbly, airheaded piece of crap if he hadn't died. Uh, you know what? I call Sansa a lemon cake eating moron for a good reason. <laughs> well, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Ned's death still important? Because in the most recent season, there was an entire ba- bastardy storyline. Well, yeah, and that's and, yeah, and that's another thing. He and there's some people that theorize about this because essentially what you found out in the sixth season, which many people speculated for years, was that he knew the entire time that John uh, he he took the blame for having a bastard that wasn't his to protect John's true identity as the son of a Targaryen with his sister. Uh, what was his sister name? Lyanna. Lyanna. Yeah, Lyanna, and so he went to the grave with his honor having this black mark on it the entire time, and he, he just took it to protect the child, to protect Jon Snow. But do you think he also believed that, you know, there was something to the prophecy, and do you think he was only doing it for his sister, or do you think he thought something I, greater would come? I, I think his love of his sister trumps everything else. He might have thought more about the other, you know, the prophecy or whatever, but I, I just see his love for his sister being the primary driving force. I also want to mention another ripple effect is is the progression of Arya Stark and oh, her. Oh Lord, yes. Yeah, her a quest dark, for vengeance. A dark going, path, yeah. Yeah. Which led her to encounter uh, the Doctor. Oh, oh wait. Yes, and <laughs> she was not a likable character in that season at all. Uh, is is she Isildur? Is Shilda? Some what was her name in that series? I can't remember. Me. She went by me. But yeah, it was a Shielder. It, a, a girl is no one, so it's okay. Yeah. So, Matt, thank you for choosing Ned Stark. That's a great choice. Yep. Uh, and now, Ed. I was actually going to go with Ned for m- many of the same reasons we've already articulated, but if uh, I gotta, if I have to pick another another first one, it's going to be Hodor. Uh, I watched all of the major death scenes just about an hour or so ago before we you know started recording this, and. Uh, Hodor's case is is such a sad one, and they haven't gotten to this place in the novels yet, so George Martin kind of had to tell the showrunners where he was going with it and what his name Hodor actually meant. And just to give you some perspective, the first time I watched the episode where he died, there was a group of about five or six of us in a room watching it. And as Bran is, you know, traveled back to the past and is viewing all of these incidents, and then the Whites and the uh, White Walkers and all that stuff were coming in, and then Mira Reed starts screaming, hold the door, hold the door. And then you start hearing the ripple of it back in the past where, you know, Bran is watching the events of the past. And then it just clicks for me and, and you realize what's about to happen. And like the air went out of the room. It, it was palpable almost. We all knew what was coming and it was just the hardest thing to watch. Hodor, who, who as a kid had his brain basically warped because of what was happening, uh, because of what was happening in the present, became a, what they would consider a simpleton, with the only purpose to live and die to protect those children, holding the door to stop the enemies from coming through and killing them. He was probably the most innocent character within the whole show, and he died a hero's death. And I, I'm not ashamed to admit I teared up watching it because it was just that much of an impact for me. Matt, did that? Did the Hodor death have the same impact on you? A, a single manly tear may have been shed. <laughs> but still, a manly tear. Uh, but you, I think Man, you guys are wimps. I didn't cry a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't... You know what? I'm not going to apologize for my feelings. It's not going to happen. <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, and to put this in perspective, I didn't cry 
or tear up at any other death in the show. I've been outraged and pissed off and everything else in between, but I never teared up at any of the other ones. And, and that says something to me. I also just think it was a, a particularly good bit of writing to, because any, anything that re- involves time travel or a, a break in a linear timeline is, is kind of hard to conceptualize and come up with the first place and then make it work and stick and believable and not have people rip it to shreds. Um, so I think the fact that there is, there is this kind of loop um, that goes back and, you know, seals in Horo's fate from a small child um, and just kind of having that foresight to do that. I don't know if he did it, you know, after the fact or if he knew the whole time that Holdor stood for Hold the Door, um, and he just kind of came up with something later. But I just thought that was a masterful piece of writing, just tying that together. I, I believe Martin planned it out to begin with, and, you know, he takes so long with his stories that I think he has an overall, uh, you know, schematic of how it's going to work out. He just fills in the minor details, you know, between. I, I think he, he probably did know from the beginning that's how it was going to end. Yeah, and, and the, the whole episode, because really the whole episode built up to that, and I just, it was extremely well executed, just every piece of it, and having that story, because, uh, c- you, you know, you do think going through, oh, well, it's, it's, it's just his name, and, and that's all he can say, like he's a Pokemon or something. Well, Hodor and, isn't his real name. No, it's not. It's and Hodor. Yeah, and and you don't even find that out until shortly before his death. It's unless, like, oh, no, it's oh. in the book. It's yeah, unless you well, unless you read the, the book in the show. Yeah, in the show they don't they don't reveal that until shortly before his death. Well, to be fair, with with our exposure to Walders within the confines of the show, I would you know go with another name as well. Yeah, true. And I think it also may have had such of an impact because, like Ed said, Hodor was the most innocent character. Or you you never blamed him for some of the evils that went on. He he was an actor of them, to be sure, but he was never the cause of of the evil. So for a character that pure, at least pure in the Game of Thrones sense, to have such a, a death, it wasn't anger, it was tragedy. Yeah. And, and when they escaped from Winterfell, he was basically their protector uh, into the north and, and uh, you know, beyond. And, God, that was such a sad thing. Holy crap. <laughs> so I'm going to make an odd allusion, but I think that Hodor's death is very similar to the death of Bing Bong in the Pixar film Inside Out. That is a weird... Al- <laughs> wow, <laughs> But okay. I, I, I agree with you, though, to Doesn't an extent. Doesn't it make sense? I mean, you have a, a child protector sacrifices himself to save... The children he's protecting. Except, I'll still say the Hodor one's a lot, you know, sadder because he never really had a choice. He was just always bound to it because of what happened to him beyond his control. But yeah, that you know that was remarkably sad for a Pixar movie. Well, they gave us Up as well, so that you know, is neither here nor there. And Toy Story three, one of the most oh my movies god. to watch. Oh my god, when they're on the trash conveyor and you're like, I know, really, really we're going what? here, Pixar. <laughs> All right. Nice detail in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think we'll have to do it most memorable deaths of animation down the line. But, of course, now I'm picturing a, a Game of Thrones cartoon, which is an odd thing. Oh, man, the the, the dire wolves get to talk like Scooby-Doo. I'd be, that'd be awesome. Jinkies, I've lost my sword. You know what? We didn't even touch upon with the Ned death. They used his own freaking sword to cut off his head. That's pretty pretty damned insulting. Ooh, yeah. But is is that not unlike the like the Japanese samurai Yeah, I know way but, of dying but, using your own sword to But, but Seppuku is self inflicted. <laughs> I know that you know, Ned made his choice when he confessed. And that was another thing we didn't really touch on. He was confessing to save his daughters. His honor, you know, would have normally not allowed him to confess to something he didn't do, but he, he was basically lying about it to make sure Sansa and Arya got out of King's Landing, or at least stayed in King's Landing, alive. Well, I mean, there's that, but he, he's also had a history of, of lying to protect those, like John Casey. Yeah, yeah that's um, true. He, he lied to Kat, um, Catelyn and have had her think this entire time that he cheated on her when he never did. I, I, yeah. 
if anything, his defining characteristic is lying to protect his family. Uh, his family becomes before his honor. Yep. So that so we have round one complete. We have Tywin Lannister. We have Ned Stark, and we have Hodor, also known as the Three Caballeros. <laughs> uh, but now we'll do round two, and Callie will start us off with this one. Uh, another death that you find memorable. All right, so so I'm going to go with a different direction. So this one wasn't the first one I thought of um, when thinking about memorable deaths, but this one is probably the single death that has had the most impact on the entire series, and the series I don't think would exist without this death, and that is the death of the Night King by the, the hand of the children of the forest. Oh, good choice. So, um, we, we learn also in the, in the last season with um, Bran now being the Three-Eyed Raven that he, the children were at war with the First Men, um, and it came to a point where they needed something to protect themselves, so they found a particular man. I'm not sure if they explain the significance of this one man, if he was just a nobody or had some kind of pull with, with the first men. Um, but they, they basically performed some ritual which involved him to his death and turned him into the first White Walker. Um, and they, at first, you know, this White Walker was used to protect them. They, they used um, the, uh, the White Walkers as an army against the first men were able to successfully subdue them. Um, but the problem became later, of course, as very similar to what we discussed in the 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 robots apocalypse episode is, you know, at what point are they still obedient to the, the original creators and at what point do they turn on you? So, um, they kind of got out of control and they could no longer, they, they couldn't kill their, their own creation. Um, so now we have this, you know, every however many years, um, because the way they count summers and winters is different, but, however many years the White Walkers come back to take vengeance on, on men because of their original programming. Um, and the children of the forest are, are near extinction, or, or are they extinct now after the last episode? I'm not sure. But, um, I, I, I don't think that they're all gone, but I think they're pretty close. We won't know until the next season or the next book comes out. Right, so um, you, have, you have the creator's near extinction, you have the, the White Walkers growing um, in power exponentially and we have no foreseeable way of, of how to successfully sub- subdue them. I mean, I know John has some some tricks up his sleeve, but that that's kind of the culminating point. Like, this war between the, the Night Walkers and civilization wouldn't exist without the creation of the Night King. That's a very good choice, and I can agree with that. That is a, a, an inspired choice, Callie. Well done. Thanks. I try. Or, as Hodor would say, Hodor. Hodor. <laughs> Hodor. Matt. Hodor, Hodor, Hodor. Hodor. Hodor, Hodor. Hodor, Hodor, Hodor. Hodor. But didn't we already do Hodor? We did. So, Matt, who's your next pick? Well, I'm I'm actually going to look at uh, one, of, one of the big event deaths being the Purple Wedding. Hmm. And not just because my favorite color is purple, but also purple. Um, <laughs> because not only did the Purple Wedding kill the character of Joffrey Baratheon, it also ended Jack Gleason's acting career. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it literally killed oh, his yeah. career. He actually, such a nice guy. Yeah, he, he actually retired from acting because of the role, and, and he actually said he's not going to act again for at least five or ten years because all anyone's going to remember him as for a long time is going to be Joffrey Baratheon. Well, it, it's sure not going to be that kid in the Batman Begins movie. No, definitely not. <laughs> so he pulled a Jake Lloyd? Yeah. No, well, no. Jake... It, it, Jake except he yeah. hasn't gotten any DUIs yet. <laughs> yeah, and and he's actually a good actor as opposed to Jake Lloyd. We won't go there. Yeah. Ouch. Jack Gleason's a fantastic actor. I mean, don't get me wrong, he is a fantastic actor. You have to be to make someone so believable, so young, so evil. Yeah. It, he made you hate him to a, de- to, to a degree that I haven't felt hatred towards a fictional character, you know, before, I think. Yeah. So, that, takes a, that takes incredible skill 
fantastic writing, and really good direction to all come together. So, Matt, may I ask a, a dumb question? Hodor. Yeah. <laughs> I know the Red Wedding is the Red Wedding because of all the bloodletting. Why is the yes. Purple Wedding the Purple Wedding? Because he is killed by poisoning. Yes. And his it's face much- literally turns purple as he asphyxiates at can, his reception. Can we talk about sense. the... Uh, can we talk about the practical effects that they used when he actually was dying? Again, I just watched all these deaths uh, in montage form before the show. That was remarkably well done. <laughs> How'd they pull it off? I, I don't remember. I don't, they with with the uh, he he must have had uh, something in his eye. I mean, CG might have been used, but uh, I think he actually took capsules or something because he was uh, spouting out blood and uh, there was blood running from his nose. Uh, I need to watch some making up featurettes, but it looked amazing. Yeah, and not just the fact that he died, and it kind of the Jason actor, but the impact that it still has on the show. I mean, that's oh, why Sansa's a fugitive. Yeah, and Tyrion. Yeah, because she and Tyrion were blamed for Joffrey's death. Because as Joffrey was dying within the show, he raised his hands and kind of pointed towards where Tyrion was kneeling down and picking up the goblet that he had just drank from. Well, actually, well, there's that, but I thought Cersei pointed. She she might have after uh, uh, Joffrey did, I don't remember. Who was the culprit? Uh, It was... was, (laughs) It was... Well, it was... Didn't... uh, uh, Mar- Marjorie Tyrell's grandmother. Yes. Well, wasn't she, she involved in it? She, uh, it she was, was. It was her and and Littlefinger. Uh, and Littlefinger. Yep. Yeah. The necklace had the the necklace that was given to Sansa had the poison in it. Yeah, and you don't find that it doesn't get confirmed till after the fact. So, I mean, within the confines of the book, you know that Sansa and Tyrion didn't have anything to do with it, and they kind of talk about it after the fact just like they finally got back to the point about who killed john aaron like five seasons later wait who did kill john aaron i don't remember they they kind of just offhand mentioned it let me let me look it up while we're talking here i know why he was killed and that was because he was looking at the the bastards of robert baratheon and trying to find um god i can't remember his name now because he's disappeared off the show he just kind of went into the night Benjamin um, Stark? No, the the bastard that was with Arya for a while. And oh, the that was um. Oh, Jesus, that was uh. Oh man, he was like he was like a blacksmith. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, Gen- Gendry. Yes. So John Aaron was looking for Gendry and had found him and was going to use him to call him the true heir and had had knew about Cersei and Jaime's uh, twincess. So, um. That's why John Aaron was killed. I just was wasn't it one of the Lannisters that killed John Aaron then? I'm trying to look. Uh, it was it was offhand mentioned in one of the more recent seasons. But while they're looking for that, Matt, I, th- I think you would agree by picking uh, the Purple Wedding. Joffrey's death probably has one of the most significant impacts on the politics of the show for oh, any God, of the yes. deaths. <clears throat> it's like there, the thing is there, there were already questions about the legitimacy of him as heir to the throne with his death you know his younger brother takes the throne and Tomlin I think his name is Tommen 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 he's the, he's he's the he's the winner he's the King's Landing high diving champion <laughs> yeah he's also wait he's also the king and his cousin yes mm-hmm I didn't know Westeros was West Virginia. Pretty much, uh, yeah. ca- ca- The Casterly Rock portion of Westeros. Um, just so we know, John Aaron was actually killed by his wife, Liza. It was Liza? It was, was, she, Liza. In, she was, was she in collusion with Peter Baelish at that point? No, she she admitted it to Peter Baelish after they got married. Um, oh, huh. yeah, actually she was. She was. Um, she was in collusion. So Baelish had Liza kill John Aaron, and then he... You know, a year later, married her, got control of the airy, and then kicked her through the moon door. I hope nobody yes. picked that for their death. Death. Moon door. No. I think, she, I think he gets it, an honorable mission mention, but I, I was just glad I didn't have to see an eleven-year-old breastfeeding anymore. So I was like, kick oh. her out again. Yeah. God, that was. One of the, <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's so much. 
there's so many messed up things with, with Cersei and um, Jamie, but I think that was one of the most disturbing scenes in the whole series. Uh, but yeah, great choice, Matt, uh, for the Purple Wedding. Ed, you'll, this will be our last full-length entry before we get into some quick picks. What's your next pick? Surprisingly, I'm not going to pick the Red Wedding. I'm going to go with the uh, assassination of Jon Snow by the Night's Watch. Throughout the entirety uh, of uh, the, the show, uh, at which, when they discover the White Walkers and all of that, when Jon gets you know, taken to the Wildlings and, and, and uh, so forth, he's actively trying to mount a defensive against the White Walkers and the incursion from the north, and he's doing his damnedest to get everybody to rally together to withstand the onslaught, uh, going as far as to make truce with the wildlings who they had been at war with for generations upon generations. And that brought <laughs> some less than great feelings from the Night's Watch, who believed they, he had betrayed their code, and uh, they, they actively voiced their opinions against him, and then eventually, after he had uh, brought the wildlings within the wall uh, to you know stand with them against the oncoming White Walkers, they brought him out in the book. Now, I don't remember exactly how it was in, in the show. It was similar. They said that they had word from his uh, his sister had showed up. I think they said that Arya had showed up. And he comes out of his cabin, and then they basically assassinate him, stabbing him in the stomach repeatedly while saying, for the watch, for the watch, for the watch. And in the show, it's just such a, 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 you know, a horrible thing to watch because... He has been doing everything within his power to give the the men of Westeros a fighting chance against a, a, a feat, uh, an enemy that they had no, no idea how to fight. And he sits there, and then he's bleeding out in the snow. And then Ollie, who's this you know kid from a nearby town whose parents had been killed by the wildlings, and join the Night's Watch and screw Ollie. Uh, for those who watched him in the show, he wasn't in the book, uh, but he was the last one to stab John pretty much in the chest or. I don't remember if it was right in the heart, but he lays there and dies and bleeds out. And it was just the hardest thing to watch. And I suspected, well, actually, at this point, I'd read the book, so I knew it was coming, but it was hard to watch. I love your pun that you used. Which one? Hard to watch, I, the night's watch. Oh, yes, yes. That was well, an inadvertent one. Inadvertent, but I'll take it. Well, the Jon Snow death does have an asterisk, I believe, an asterisk, I believe, because it is the same as the search for Spock. Uh, okay, <laughs> he he physically died, so it counts. It does and, count. And and the book readers for you, you know several years didn't know he was coming back, and we at the end of uh, season five didn't know he was coming back. We hoped he was coming back. Oh, oh we knew he was coming back. He never cut his hair. <laughs> oh, we're talking about stuff not shown on set. Uh, so, let's get meta. Uh, but the, the but the uh, the funny thing is, and I've seen the uh, interview. Uh, Kit Harrington was interviewed after the fact, and he got pulled over for speeding one day or one night. And the officer said, "All right, I can let you out of the speeding ticket if you tell me if you're alive in in, in the next season of Game of Thrones." <laughs> and he he said to the officer. I'm in next season. And then the officer responds, on your way, Lord Commander, and lets him go. Oh, my God. <laughs> His watch is not over. No. But, uh, the, you know, the way that the uh, production staff handled it, they were pretty much lying to our faces because they kept saying, dead is dead is dead, he's not coming back, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we all suspected that he was, but, you know, it, it kind of did rub me the wrong way that they would even answer the question and then just lie about it. So they went to the Stephen Moffat School of Production. Pretty much. Uh, so those are our six full entries, uh, but let's have some quick honorable mentions. And I'll start with Matt on these. What are what's the death we haven't talked about yet that you think deserves a merit? Well, the Red Wedding has to be mentioned just because it's the most famous, honestly. And also, it's a lot of deaths because it's Rob Stark and his wife and her baby, which hasn't even been born yet. And, and, I mean, they actively stab her in the belly for that purpose. Yeah, that was so. And Catelyn. Can I interject for one second, just while you're on that? She's not actually dead in the book. She wasn't even at the Red Wedding. So right. the baby... Uh, so, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, 
I'm I'm just going from the show though. Yeah, I know, I know. Mm-hmm. And the the dire and they cut his Rob's head off and cut his direwolf's head off and they use stakes and spears to hold the direwolf's head on Rob Stark's neck, put him on a horse and then parade it through the grounds. Yep, that's that's where my wife lost it, because she can watch a human get killed all day, but you hurt an animal, it's on. Yeah, my father-in-law was the same way. Every time a horse died, he was he had to walk away and come back after a day to keep watching. <laughs> my wife can't watch westerns with me for that very reason. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, of course, The Red Wedding. It's how I opened the show, so it's iconic. Uh, Ed, your next honorable mention. Uh, you know what? We didn't really touch on it, but, you know, as far as one that made me cheer, uh, Ramsey Snow slash Bolton, uh, that was great. It hasn't happened in the novels yet, but the fight that led up to it when, you know, after all the deplorable things he's done to Theon, which I think were justified, but that's beside the point, to, to Sansa, but in the books it was, you know, Sansa's friend, uh, Jane Poole, or whatever her name was. But right. um, anyway, so he's done all these despicable and deplorable things. He's raped, he's killed, he's, he's gone back on his word, he's been just an insulting little bastard, pun intended, and... Uh, then Jon Snow beats the ever-living hell out of him in a fist fight, and then they leave him in the kennels, and Sansa gets to sick his own hungry dogs on him to kill him. And I cheered. I cheered. You might say his death was rough. Yes. You were really they, hounding for that one. Yeah, Sansa really yeah. gave him the warm, fuzzy in a whole, the warm fuzzies in a whole different way. Yeah. <laughs> it, was pretty, it was pretty doggone horrible. It oh! Made him, it made him take a pause. I can hear us losing listeners. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, good pick. Callie, what's your honorable mention? Um, I'm going to go with the one that I, I kind of called it, but it was still sad nonetheless, and it was so pathetic watching it. But it was actually Tommen jumping out of the window after he realized that um, his wife was dead. Oh, but man. He scored a 9.5 from the Chinese judge. He, he did. He did. He the rush only gave him a three. I gave him. A ten. I, I gave him a ten. <laughs> and, and the thing is, I, I think the most brutal part of it for me is there is well, there's there's two parts of it that are particularly brutal to me. One is him taking off his crown and setting it down first, like I don't want to scratch it. Right. And the second is the fact that he doesn't actually jump. He straight up walks out the window. Yeah. I mean, he, he walks out it like he's walking down the hall. Like Geronimo style. It, it looks just, like you have messed up playing Assassin's Creed, and you don't. <laughs> your like controller is stuck, and you're just walking off the wall. Yeah, or, or Dark yeah. Souls. Like, oh, you know that whole episode was just punch after punch after punch of, of main characters getting killed off, and mm-hmm. uh, just the suddenness and and, and you know so quiet. Just, it was so quiet. Yes, and he just puts his crown down and just casually walks out the window, and you're like. Uh, here, you can use the bleep. It's like, oh, sh-. <laughs> It's like, wow, that just happened. I have to mention one. I've watched a few montages myself. If you haven't figured it out, listeners, I'm not as adept at Game of Thrones as our panel today. But in watching death scenes, I'm surprised you didn't mention a man who wanted to be crowned and they gave him his crown. Because that, as far as sheer brutality, that is worthy of a Mortal Kombat fatality. Well, Vi- Vicer- Goldality. Well, it, it gets overshadowed because Viserys, or Viserys was a jackass for part of one season, whereas characters like Joffrey and, and uh, Ramsay were there for multiple seasons. He got exactly what he deserved, and it was a very memorable scene. That bastard got his crown. I mean, damn. It's also probably the most expensive death as far as amount of money used to for the murder weapon. <laughs> I don't know. Valerian steals up there, man. Yeah, yeah that's true. It's it's and that's one of the only things that can uh, kill White Walkers. Valerian steel and dragonglass and all that stuff. Uh, On the side, I think Valerian steel would be a great name for a up and coming male model or a rock band. That too, or, or a look that you give as a male model. Uh, so we're thinking Zoolander here. Got it. <laughs> if Zoolander were set in Westeros. I'm bringing the Valyrian steel pouty face. <laughs> he turned left. 
you know, and we di we didn't really even touch on you know the deaths of the High Sparrow and Marjorie uh, Tyrell with uh, uh, with the, the giant bomb with wildfire. Yeah, that Lancel. was Lancel, and uh, there were some other people in there. Uh, uh, Mace, Ty Mace, Mace Tyrell was there. Yeah. Oh man, there were so many people there. Yeah. And uh, Matt, uh, you told me this statistic before, but I think it's a nice way to wrap up our discussion before we have our final answer. How many major characters in Game of Thrones the show have died by natural causes? <laughs> natural. Uh, I've got one. I've got There's one. one. <laughs> Maester Amon. Yeah. Right, Matt? That's the only one. That, uh, yeah, it's pretty much just yeah. Amon. Well, do you consider do you consider uh, death and childbirth to be natural causes? Okay, true. So we have one death by yeah. old age and then one death by childbirth. Okay, I can buy that. Yeah. Yeah. Still, that, 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 two. How many deaths in the, the show? What about the stillborn? Does that count too? If death and childbirth birth counts. She, I guess so. But it's you such, know, a, such a small percentage of overall death in the show. It's the reverse of percentage in real life. All right, I have to put my foot down. I, I think our listeners would be mortified if we didn't mention this death in the Game of Thrones deaths, and that is the death of Oberon Martell. Oh yeah, that's yeah between him and that was man and the and the mountain yeah yeah they both died technically and uh, yeah because Oberyn had managed to stab him with his uh, or cut him with his poison tipped blade and then right. then obviously the mountain crushed yeah. his Crushed head. his skull yeah courtesy of thumbs through also, the eyes also also taken from Star Star Trek Ugh. or Rathacon reboot. Yeah. That was horrific when his head got crushed, though. That was a good scene. I honestly yeah. think the worst part of of the scene with, with Oberyn's death is actually that scream after. Yes. Oh, uh, Elia, or no, what was his, yeah. the girl, no, Elia was his sister. What was that girl's name? The sand, she won the sand stinks? Yeah, she's like the leader or something. Talk about a pointless plot line afterwards. Good Ironically, Lord. when Oberon was in school, he was a great pupil. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna hurt you for that one. <laughs> and you know what? It, it, it's another one of those instances where he was completely justified in 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 the revenge he was trying to seek because his sister had been raped and murdered by the mountain, and he knew it, and that's what he was going there to do. It was just a, a side consequence that he was also fighting on behalf of Tyrion at the time. Right. And had he not got overconfident, you know, and uh, say her name, admit what you did, he would have lived through that fight, but he got cocky. So thank you, Callie, for making sure we mentioned that one. So, now it is time. We've mentioned a lot of deaths. It's time for each of you to pick the one death that you think is most memorable in terms of impact on the show, brutality, well acted. We'll start at the front of the chain, Callie, and work our way down the line. So, Callie, of all the ones mentioned tonight... Uh, or one we haven't gotten to yet. Which death on Game of Thrones is the most memorable to you? Ooh, that is that is so tough because I could barely choose the two um, that I started with. Um, I'm going to go with the. I'm actually going to go with Tommen, and and why is because it's it's the kickoff to what uh, Cersei's going to do next. She, you know. She's good at killing people and protecting her kids, and she's all out of kids. Like, <laughs> you don't know what's coming down the line. You don't know um, how this is going to affect King's Landing and their political stance or their um, war strategy or anything else. You don't know how it's going to affect her relationship with um, her brother and where she's going to go from there. So I think I think Tommen's death was the tipping point for Cersei, and I'm, I'm curious to see how that impacts the rest of the storyline. It makes sense, and it's the, to quote the classic Roddy Piper line from They Live, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and I'm all <laughs> out of gum. <laughs> nice. Uh, so that is where that death is taking us. Uh, Matt, what is the most memorable death in Game of Thrones to you? I'm going to have to give it to the acting world's Jar Jar Banks. I'm going to have to give it to Sean Bean. I mean, Ned Stark. <laughs> and... and the, the reason, and not just because, you know, not just because it's Sean Bean, but because there's so much tension in the immediate part of the show preceding the death. There's so much tension, so much expectation that he'll find a way out of it, 
there's all this build-up that when it actually happens, it's it, it, it honestly kind of makes it more surprising. And then it just it sets the tone and puts the wheels in motion for just everything else that happens through the whole show. Well, south of the wall, anyway. <laughs> makes sense to me. And Ed, what's your most memorable death on Game of Thrones? I'm going with Matt on this one, Ned Stark. It is the catalyst for the rest of the series and it was you know at that moment that you you just knew no one was safe whether they were righteous or or evil and that the good guys might not win in the end so for the reasons that he's already elaborated on ned stark all right thank you uh guys uh listeners is it tommen is it ned or is it someone else we mentioned today is it a jackal has it not even happened yet? Is it still to come? Uh, let us know by sending us your thoughts. Feedback at gmail.com is our email address. At Podcast is our Twitter account where we have over 2,700 followers. And we thank them all very much. Special shout out to Podknife, the podcast listing service that as of May has listed us on their feed as a brand new uh shiny addition to their uh, service so thank you very much pod knife if you added us you must appreciate stuff like that and i want to thank the panel of course thank you callie farewell from the old gods and the new so ed thank you and now my watch has ended and matt uh game of thrones doing this episode was your idea so thank you very much jar jar is coming Ooh, no. and now the most memorable death of the whole episode matt kill the gungan well josh after listening to our episode, Jar Jar decided to look at his own IMDb page, only to discover he was in fact being played by Sean Bean, at which point he had a fatal heart attack. Sean Bean playing him gives him too much credibility. And also it's a natural death. Come on. Yeah. Never gonna happen. <laughs> it was... Sean Bean got the kill. Sean Beanality. Oh, gotcha. Uh. He must have beamed him. Oh! Nice. Nice. Callie in for the last pun of the episode. So thank you for the all, for the whole panel. Uh, this is Josh reminding you that if you're with a white walker, don't be so icy. Let it go and you might just live. See you next time on Big Nerdy Questions. Big Nerdy Questions.